Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament, and we're going to be in chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We're going to see here in just a few moments an instance uh, where um, we will have Jesus teaching us how we should pray. Teaching us how we should pray. Now, before we get there, um, I just want to tell you something. I have learned in my 32, my, my little 32 years of life, um, that one of the most difficult things to do is to admit that you don't know how to do something. Would you guys agree with that? It's hard to admit when you don't know how to do something. Typically, our pride or arrogance will get in the way of us asking for help or admitting that we really have no clue what we are doing. Often we think we know what we're doing or we try to at least pretend and act like we know what we're doing. And then someone will come along because we will say something or our body language will speak that we have no clue. And they'll say, do you, do you know what you're doing? And we will either give a hesitant yes or we will flat out say in arrogance, yeah, I know what I'm doing. And you'll try to continue on. And we, we make it look like we can play the part well. Now, uh, when I was a teenager, probably around the age of 14 or 15 years old, uh, I uh, wanted to, to fit in and I wanted to be the cool kid. And so um, I wanted to take up skateboarding. And I had a good friend of mine who could skateboard really, really well. And so he was over at our house, and we lived down the road from like a fire station and then a, uh, a library. And so it had this huge open parking lot. It was off the road. And so I figured I will learn how to skateboard in this big parking lot. And so my buddy comes over, and he brings a skateboard, and here I go, and I get on this thing for the very first time. And, and I'm like thinking to myself, how hard could skateboarding actually be? And so I get on this skateboard and I take off and I get about 10 feet and I, the skateboard flies out from underneath me and I fall flat on my back right onto the ground. And I got up and I was like, no, this is not going to happen. I'm going to conquer this right here, right now. And so I get back on the skateboard and before I take off, my buddy goes, do you know what you're doing? And I was like, yeah, I know, what my, I know what I'm doing. And I take off again, and I try different, different maneuvers, and I take off, and I got about 15 feet this time, and bam, I fell on my back again. I was so frustrated, so angry, I didn't get on the skateboard, and, and me, as a, as a teenager, got, got so angry that I did the, the typical teen kick of the item that they're angry at, right? So I take the, the skateboard, and I just tried to launch it, and then I hurt my foot because I was angry. Walked away thinking I'm never, ever, ever going to skateboard a day in my life. Now, my friend comes over as I'm laying there, um, and he says to me, Josh, I, I was so angry that I, when I kicked the skateboard, have you ever, any, anyone ever seen a, a teenager throw a temper tantrum? Yep, so that was me. I'm just being honest with you. And so um, he comes over and he's like, Josh, are, are you okay? Um, you shouldn't try those things yet. Keyword yet. And what he was saying to me was, you really don't know what you're doing, but I can help you. Though another teenage guy uh, probably would never say that first. They would laugh like he did. Then he checked on me and then told me that I was stupid for trying to do the things that I was attempting to do. 
So I decided that I was going to come the following weekend, and I was going to do it again. And so I asked him to meet me out there, and we were going to go um, again. I was, I was going to do something different this time. I was going to watch my buddy calmly and collectively stroll across the parking lot, and I was going to observe every single thing that he did. Puzzled and perplexed, I watched every motion that he did on that skateboard. Every time he would step to push himself, every maneuver he would make with his foot to steer the skateboard, I watched. I wanted to be able to sail across this parking lot. But I did something different after I watched because there were things that I could not explain how he did them. And so I asked him, I said, will you teach me how to skateboard? And he said, absolutely. And by the end of that day, I had discovered that what I had learned about skateboard from TV and video games was completely wrong. <laughs> completely. But by watching and learning and listening, I soon figured out how I could do it the right way. And by the end of that day, I was sailing across that parking lot, not hitting my head on the pavement, and waiting for an injury to occur for me to then be taken back home, and then I would have gotten in trouble because I wasn't wearing a helmet. But what the difference was in that moment was I was taught, I learned, and I corrected what I was doing wrong. So I want to read to you a passage of scripture this morning that's going to be a, a something similar to this. Now watch what the disciples do here in Luke chapter 11. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we forgive, or for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning, and we ask right now, Lord, that you would use these four verses to do something different in us. God, we pray for illumination of Scripture this morning. We pray that we would see the things here that you would want us to see that our mind would be shifted and changed to how we should be praying. You've given a model, Lord, you, you taught on the topic of prayer. And so, God, I pray, I pray for a, a difference in thought this morning as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Right out of the gate here in chapter 11, we see one of the disciples make a statement. He says, Lord, teach us to pray. This statement here prompts this entire section of verses, actually all the way through verse 13, which we do not have time today to break down all of them. But we must stop, though, and ask ourselves, what do we truly know about prayer? What do we truly know? Do we know something that another brother or sister in Christ has showed us? Or what a Bible teacher or what a pastor has spoken on? Is that all we know? I'm not saying that any of those things are wrong. But have we truly been taught how to pray by Jesus Christ? 
Truly have we been taught how to pray. Church, I want you to consider something with me. It is a privilege that belongs to us. There is no greater privilege that belongs to us as believers than that of prayer. No greater privilege than that of prayer. Do you, to know that we have direct access to the Father. To know that he longs to hear from us. That we can pour out our heart and that there is limitless grace. That's an incredible privilege. But sadly for many, for many in churches today, it is an untapped resource often looked upon as a chore. Prayer. Please know that every single person, including your pastor, struggle with prayer. We struggle. Would you guys agree with that, church? You struggle with prayer. Prayer presents to us a unique and difficult challenge. And we're not alone in that. The disciples, thousands of years ago, asked Jesus the question. So I would like for us to learn what prayer should look like. So the first thing I want us to see is the purpose of the statement. The purpose of the statement. Something prompted them to ask Jesus for help. After all, if you go back and read in the Synoptic Gospels, you will see that Jesus has already given this information to the disciples over in Matthew chapter 6. This is a completely different instance. And Jesus was giving those same things to them in the Sermon on the Mount. This is completely different occasion that we see here. And I want you to notice that Jesus was not preaching. Jesus was not preaching here. It, look, go back to the very beginning. What does it say? Now Jesus was praying. Jesus was praying. He's in a certain place. This light bulb comes on for just a moment for his disciples. And they have been thinking, why do we not pray like Jesus? Why do we not pray like him? And he goes on to say, there's something missing. Something's wrong and I don't know what I'm doing. How do I do that? The disciples are saying to Jesus, we hear you. We see you, but we're not praying like you. So basically what Jesus does here is reiterate what he's already said, but it takes on a brand new and a fresh meaning because now the disciples have seen it in action. Have you ever read a passage of scripture the first time and you were like, what did I just read? Anybody? And then you read it again maybe a week or two weeks or a month or six months later and something just burns off the page and into your heart. Anybody? Yes, that, I mean that happens all the time. That's exactly what's going on. Why don't we pray like that? We see it, we hear it, but guess what? We heard it again and bam, something happens. The disciples are saying, we understand how to pray. These, these are Jewish men. They, the, the concept of prayer is not foreign to them. And they, they probably all grew up learning prayers that they would have had to say at different points throughout the year or to start their day or to close their day. The concept of prayer was not new to these men, but they were taught wrong. They were taught wrong. It was all about religiosity. It was all about just following the rules. All about just quoting these things over and over and over again until they're so ingrained in your mind. Now, I'm not saying that repetitiveness is wrong or sinful. 
But what I'm saying is that they were taught the way the Pharisees were taught. There was no relationship. It was rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. That's it. That's all it was for them. But they witnessed something that was different about Jesus. They saw something different. Now listen, why did they see something different? Well, because prayer is unnatural to the natural man. Prayer is unnatural. Would you guys agree with that? Prayer is unnatural for us as human beings. Why? Because the natural man is self-reliant. The natural man is self-sufficient. The natural man is proud or often busy and preoccupied with other things. But the disciples wanted to reorganize their thoughts because they knew they wanted what Jesus was doing. They wanted something different. And so I want us to see this morning that the disciples recognized their need and they asked Jesus for help. And for the disciples, prayer was a learning experience. Prayer was a learning experience. The request, teach us to pray, implies that there's going to be an imparting of knowledge. There's going to be a practical instruction that will be given or an education to someone else. And Christ taught the disciples. That's all he did. Was, I'm going to tell you and explain to you what I've already been taught. What I already know. So it was a learning experience. It was also a listening experience. A listening experience. Prayer is having a conversation with God. I want you to notice something in this passage of scripture that's often overlooked. The moment that the disciples asked the question, they never spoke again. They never spoke again. They asked the question and they listened. They listened to Christ speak. You know, there are often times where we must do what the, the writer of Psalm 46 says when it says to be still and know that I am God. Or what about in 1 Kings when it says that we need to let the still small voice of the Spirit speak to our heart? How often in prayer do we just continue to speak and speak and speak and speak and never listen? So for the disciples, it was a learning experience, it was a listening experience, but prayer should be a likable experience. Prayer should be a likable. Prayer should be a blessing rather than a burden. Prayer should be viewed as an opportunity rather than an obligation. It should be a pleasure rather than pain. If you go back to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus drove this point home that prayer was often seen as hypocritical and that the real life and prayer life were often two separate worlds, two different places. Jesus said, don't pray like the hypocrites. So the disciples looked at Jesus as someone that they could pattern their prayer life after. But guess what? There was a difference between the Pharisees and the way Jesus prayed. And it was because there was honest prayer life in Jesus. There was an honest prayer life. What most people saw, including the disciples, when it came to prayer was hypocrisy. And Jesus was directing them towards truth. 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 I want to just jump over real quick and I want to read to you what happens here in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, you, you do not have to turn there if you don't want to. Gold Star students, I know you will. 
But this is what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father will, who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Church, real prayer is stopping the religious statements, getting away from the rituals, and being real with God. That's what prayer is. Stopping the religious statements getting away from being ritualistic and just being real. The disciples saw the rear, that, 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 that real prayer here for Jesus was relational. And only when there is a right relationship with God do our prayers become real. Only. And so they asked for help. So there wasn't just a purpose for the question, but we see that there is a pattern when it comes to prayer we see that there is a pattern when it comes to prayer. If you go all throughout Scripture, you'll, you'll see real prayer occurring. Just as there are examples here in the New Testament of wrong praying, there are plenty of examples of right praying. From Genesis to Revelation, there are moments throughout Scripture where we get to pull back the curtain ever so slightly and see these awesome encounters with, with God and man through prayer. In praying, Jesus was demonstrating a pattern that was in place, something that he himself practiced, that which was laid out clearly in Scripture. Look at this verse on the screen in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says this, that in the morning rising up a great while before the day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. And there he prayed. That speaking of Jesus, Jesus got up way before anybody else did. Way before the sun got up, Jesus was up and in communion with the Father. Now we see this several times in multiple verses that he met with God first thing. He got up with purpose. He went to a place of minimal distraction and there he played or prayed. Sorry, church, I want to tell you something. When you get up in the morning, put your cell phone away and pray. Don't bring it with you. Get away from your kids if you got kids in your house. Get away from your dogs. Get away from the noise and the TV. Get away from your spouse if you have to. Get alone with God and pray. Distraction-free. Pray. Jesus did the same exact thing. He got alone with God. Jesus knew the value of prioritizing prayer, and he protected his time with the Father. He would let nothing get in the way of his time with his dad. We see a pattern we see a place, we see a priority, but what we do not see is what did Jesus specifically pray? In these moments where it says that he got alone and prayed, we don't ever hear what words he would have said to his father. Well, be sure, though, I need you to be very sure of something this morning, that prayer is in many instances, and for the most part, often a private thing, 
and I'm not negating it like we said last week, but we are not left without a pattern as it pertains to how Jesus would have prayed. Go back and read throughout Scripture. There are moments and times where Jesus referenced often things of the Old Testament and what he taught and how he prayed or how he would have prayed. And so there are going to be a list of things that are going to come onto the screen and they're going to be rapid fire. And so for those of you who are note takers, I will give them to you if you miss any of them. Okay? But I want to show us for just a moment how Jesus would have prayed. And we see this all throughout Scripture. The first thing is adoration. Adoration. If you go back and read Psalm chapter 34, it says multiple times, bless the Lord at all times. Jesus would have blessed his father, adoration. The second thing is thanksgiving. There are book after, or chapter after chapter after chapter in the book of Psalms that says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Over and over and over, Jesus would have given, given thanksgiving to his father. Jesus would have given or been in awe, awe in prayer. This is a recognition of God's holiness and righteousness, and Jesus would have lifted his Father high. Jesus would have been in submission, submission in prayer. In Psalms, you find so many prayers that revolve around being obedient, about hiding God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him, submission. The next is confession, Psalm 32, Psalm 26, Psalm 51, all open up to God about sin and honesty. Over and over and over, we are told to confess. The next is community. Many times there are examples of people praying together with one another and for one another. We looked at those examples last week in the book of Acts. This one is probably one of the most difficult, continually. Praying continually. Jesus would have prayed with perseverance. Jesus will talk more about this later on in Luke chapter 11. And so I would encourage you to go home today and read the rest of this chapter. Before you do anything else, read the rest of Luke chapter 11. But you can go back and see from the beginning of the Old Testament, there are times over and over and over again where there was a continuous motive of prayer. A lifestyle Go back and look at Moses. Do you know how many times he interceded for the Israelites so that they would not be smote by God? Prayer. And the last one, humility. Humility. There was always a reverence and a brokenness in prayer. It is precisely with these elements that Jesus will expound upon in the model prayer. I believe is something that I would call the original formula for prayer. Sadly, then and now, many of these elements are no longer in place in the pattern of prayer that the disciples had been seeing or, or what they were seeing looked nothing like what Jesus was doing. As you go back and you read in, in Matthew chapter 6 and you read here in Luke chapter 11, you will notice that the first elements have to do with God and his glory. The first elements of prayer have to do with God and his glory. The second have to do with man and his need. The second have to do with man and his need. Prayer starts. Church, don't miss this. Prayer starts 
from the word of God and it starts with glorifying God. And when it comes to human need, only after God has been set in his prime place. But prayer is not an attempt to get something out of God that we believe we have a right to demand of him. Prayer is not the foolishness of trying to speak things for personal gain. Prayer is not informing God. It's not forcing God. Prayer is not agitating God or conning God into doing something. We are bringing ourselves into a place where His glory can be displayed. That's why the model prayer that Jesus gave started out with our Father who art in heaven. And it ended with, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It started with God. It ended with God. It begins and it ends with the supremacy of who he is. And even in the middle, it focused on God as our Father. When Jesus said, hallowed be thy name, he was saying that God was our source. When he said, thy kingdom come, he was saying that God was sacred. When he said, thy will be done, he was saying that God was sovereign. When he said, give us our daily bread, he was saying that God was superior. When he was saying, forgive us our sins, he was saying that God was our supporter. When he was saying, lead us not into temptation, he was saying God was our savior. And lastly, when he said everything comes to the supremacy of God, he's saying that God is our shelter. Church, when we pray, this is how we should be praying. We should be looking at God as every single aspect of our prayer. It's not something that we pray to get something from God because we think we deserve it. Because guess what? What we truly and honestly deserve is hellfire and damnation because that's what we are. But we were given, we were given a free gift through the shed blood of his son. And how often do we really go to him in reverence, in awe, in adoration, praying to the one who sustains and gives life? I have met Christian after Christian after Christian. who believed that they only should pray when they were in need of something. What a sad, sad life to not commune with our Savior. Prayer should be viewed differently, church. It's not an afterthought. not to obtain it's to see the supremacy of God and to allow for his glory to be seen through us this is how Jesus would have prayed this is how his men heard him pray and I hope that through this series, we will learn what prayer is and what prayer is not.
church, how, how can we have a series on prayer and not end the way that we ended last week? As I stood here on the stage and people got into groups and began to pray over different aspects that we had talked about, it warmed my heart when I walked away from here. To me, it was one of the most amazing things that I've seen since I've been here as your pastor. Seeing our people gathered together, praying, praying for one another, praying for our city, praying for our church, praying for our leaders. But it shouldn't just happen here on Sunday morning. It should be happening every day of our lives. Paul told the church in Thessalonica to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that you can't take a drink or have, have some food or take a shower or get some sleep. But what he meant was to be continuously connected to the source that gives life. And so church, I'm going to ask you again this morning to put your stuff away. I'm going to ask you to get into groups this morning and I'm going to ask you to pray over something very, very, very specific. That God would be glorified in and through this church and out into our community. As we begin to touch lives here, as God's name goes forth and people become radically changed and saved for His namesake. And so I'm going to ask you right now to get out of your seats. I'm going to ask you to get into groups again this morning. I'm going to ask you to pray, but I'm, going to, I'm just going to encourage you with something. I'm going to encourage you with something. If you're in a group of three or four or five or six, don't hog all of the time. Let other people pray too. Because maybe there's someone else in that group that wants to pray over something that God's laid on their heart. And so take a few moments Church, let's begin to get into groups and let's begin to pray, pray that God's will would be done here in and through the wealth.